Okay. B'siyata Dishmaya, we're up to Shalmais number two. And uh, I'd like to discuss with you uh, communication. The importance of communication and how we should uh, go about communication. This follows up from our, our previous conversation because previously we, we had spoken about Hakaras Kvoda, recognizing her, her kavod, and we spoke about the idea that there are two sides of the neshama, and the neshama is, according to Zohar, the sad zachar and sad nekeva, and the, the recognition of her kavod is the way in which they come together. Now, in order for them to come together in this world, there has to be some form of communication that brings them together. In other words, when we communicate well together, we, become, we have a synergistic effect, we, we attach. Um, that applies to all parts of life. That applies to an employer and an employee. It applies to a Rebbe and a Talmud. And it applies, and it applies to a husband and wife as well. How they communicate with each other is going to affect how well they eventually join with each other. So, I want to start uh, again with the Maramakam in Torah, and that is an amazing Rashi. I'm indebted to Rav Rafi Ronis, who made this point to me uh, first. Rashi in Perik Lamed Zayin Pasuk Chav Zayin in Bereshis, in Parshas Vayeshev, on the word Vayishmu'u Echav. This is Yehuda convincing his brothers not to sell Yosef HaTzadik. He's not to kill, excuse me, Yosef HaTzadik, but to sell him, the Pasuk says, Vayishmu Echav, that the brothers listened. And Rashi spells out that there are three different types of Shmiya, three different ways of listening, three paradigms of Shmiya. And what we're going to see tonight is those three paradigms of Shmiya uh, exist in our day-to-day living, the Torah describes three different forms of Shmiya, and we have to talk about using them in appropriately within marriage. So Rashi points out that the Targum translates the words Nase Venishma by Kabbalah Satorah as Vikabil Mine, to be Mekabil, to entirely accept, to internalize. Rashi on Vishmu Echav there says that. They accepted, the brothers accepted Yehuda's idea like Nasa Venishma. Nasa Venishma means to not only to hear, but to entirely accept. And then Rashi points out there is another extreme. That is, Paroi says, Hakadish Baruch Hu says, Shamati es Tlunos B'nai Yisrael. I've heard the Tlunos, the complaints of B'nai Yisrael. So there, HaKadosh Baruch Hu isn't necessarily accepting that Kla Yisrael, their Shibut should end at that moment, but there Rashi says it's Shmias Ozen. It's hearing. In other words, a person hears something. And then there is a third, and that's actually ascribed to Yosef in regards to his power of interpreting dreams. It, the Torah refers to an embracious parak mem alf pasuk tezvav tishmach aloim l'fdor oisai, and Rashi says there that means loshen havana to understand. So again, there are three levels. There is 
Nasa Vinishma, where a person accepts, entirely accepts. Then there is the other extreme, where you hear, but don't necessarily accept at all. Shemati is Tlunos B'nai Yisrael. And then the middle is Tishma Chaloim Lefdoroisai, another form of Shmiya, and that's the form of Shmiya where a person hears and understands. Doesn't necessarily accept, but hears and understands. What emerges then, Rabosai, is that there are four different ways people communicate. The first is they don't. And that is that one side attempts to communicate and the other doesn't listen. You're not guilty of that, right? I'm not guilty of that. Uh, But yes, at times we are. And at times it might even be justified. So let me give you an example. Um, Not when it's justified. Uh, At times that we use it when we feel that we have no no way out. But it could very well be that there might be another way of approaching it. Um, Does this sound familiar? It's five minutes to nine. You're about to run out to Seder. And then your wife asks you a question that the answer is not, it's not a five-minute answer, especially when she's going to have the follow-up questions that you know that she's going to ask. So sometimes what guys try to do is they try to avoid. In other words, they'll say, "Um, I can't talk now. We'll talk later about it. So that's not talking at all. That's hurtful. That's hurtful when someone wants, when the person that you rely on the most doesn't want to talk to you at that particular moment. And we have to realize, we're going to discuss the sugi by itself, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. We have to realize that for women, where expression of emotions is even more central than for us men who tend to live in a more functional, informational type of place, that that could, that could be very, very difficult. So here's the Eitzah. Five minutes to nine. Put everything down. Try not to think about the Tosos. I have a great job. I'm sitting in a, in a, in a Rebbe's chair and I'm telling you not to think about the Tosos. I always say that that's the best job to have when you have to tell Talmudim to learn less as opposed to as opposed to push them to learn more. But there's Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky's Zetzal used to kick the boys out of the Smedrish at uh, midnight in Tarvadas. There's a time There's a time for everything. There's a time for learning. They say beautifully in Europe, they said that uh, a masmid is someone who learns when he's supposed to learn and eats when he's supposed to eat and davens when he's supposed to daven. That's a masmid. That's a masmid. Nowadays, we don't necessarily extol that because everything's out of whack. But uh, once upon a time, that was what that was what a masmid was. So there's a time to put away the gemara, put the gemara aside, try to put the tosis out of your head for a short time, and just focus for those five minutes, and say that I have five minutes now, and I want to give you my full attention. I'm not going to have more time now, but in those five minutes, to give her your entire attention now. Using your chachma, you might not necessarily focus on the exact problem that she's addressing at its core, because then she's going to follow up with those bunch of questions that you're going to eventually have to you have to go. But avoidance 
is can be very, very uh, hurtful. Um, so what you should do at that time is set out the amount of time that you have and point out that you're, you're planning to continue and keep your words. Keep your word that you're planning to continue at that particular time. Which means that if somebody's going to come up, if you told her you're going to discuss it with her at 1.30 when you come back for lunch and someone comes over to you and says that at 1.30 we could go um, and get you registered and this and this and this and this. Or at 1.30 I could take you to Rav Asher Weiss and he's going to give you 24 hours straight all of his time forever. Don't believe him. Uh, Rav Asher Weiss is very, very gracious. But uh, at the end of the day, um, I could, you know, you have the best thing coming to you at 1.30. There's nothing more important in the world for you than giving your wife attention when you promised her that you were going give to give her attention. And therefore, no matter what comes up, she, she comes first. She comes first. Okay, so that's the way we get out of at least avoidance, that we could reach the place of Shmiah. So you're there for those five minutes, and then you have to be there uh, at, at 1.30. One of the tragic depictions of a husband and a wife who are, who are their marriage is not, is not working that well, is um, they're sitting at a, at, a th- at a therapist and the wife says, he doesn't, he doesn't talk to me anymore. And the, and the husband says, what are you talking about? We're, we talk all the time. And she said, she says, what? We haven't, we haven't, we haven't talking at all. Actually, her lashon generally is, her, her lashon is, we not, we're not talking. And he says, no, we, we, we spoke last night, we spoke this morning, we spoke the day before. So the therapist asked him, what, what were you talking about? And he says, we spoke about how much uh, camps are going to cost for the kids. And we, and we spoke about you know, what, uh, what time I'm coming home so, my, so you could take the car. And we're, we spoke about all that stuff. And then the wife starts crying and she turns to the therapist and says, you see, he's not talking to me. Let's make a lambda shadiyuk. What did the husband say? He felt, he dug his own, his own uh, pit over here. He said, what do you mean? I spoke to you all the time. There's tzvei dinim. There's a din called speaking, and there's a din called talking. By the way, the Rambam didn't, there's not mochroch in a Rambam or in a Gemara. This is all just the way people use English. But in English, we actually say, let's talk. That means, let's talk heart to heart. To speak is when you're speaking to somebody. And that's the, the, the omek. She didn't realize that she was bringing the husband to a lamdash trap. But that's the, that's, the, that's the omek of what her pain is. Her pain is that they're speaking, but they're not talking. That's what Rashi is referring to, is the madrega of shmia, of hearing, but just shmias ozen. The ear hears. The husband is hearing the words that the wife is saying, but he's not hearing anything more than that. 
Now this starts not because not at the place of where a husband's not interested in speaking, but in talking, but he's only interested in speaking. What's happened is years before often is that a culture between them was created in which the husband didn't really show that he was interested in her talk. He only focused on the speak. He didn't focus on the talk. And here's the challenge on both sides. And this is a real challenge. In some cases for the guys, it comes from even a holy place. And that's the base of Lahavdil, the same thing takes place in law school. And Lahavdil, the same thing takes place in the, in the gym as well. And that is, what happens is, that communication is, in the male world, is often focused on conveying information as opposed to conveying the, conveying the depth of feelings. And therefore, what happens is, we get used to a certain form of communication. And that is a communication that's based on logic. So in the base Medrash, what is the worst thing to say? What's bad, what's bad speaking? Bad speaking is a krumah svara. Something that's, that just is wrong. Doesn't fit in the words. I'd like to emphasize not only svaras, it also has to fit in the words. That's the other thing. But either it doesn't fit in the words, or... It's a bad, the logic is faulty. Those are things that are not acceptable in the base Medrash. And that's the way we tend to communicate each other. And not only that, when your Chavrusa says that he says something wrong, you tell your Chavrusa he says something wrong. And by the way, if you have an understanding and a deep relationship, there's nothing wrong with it. It's Gemara. Gemara in Kedushim, the Aflamid on the base says, an amazing metaphor, an amazing metaphor but it's antithetical to everything in marriage. The Gemara says about chavrusas, a beautiful setup of two chavrusas that are fighting with each other, like I described tonight, Rav Sheps itself. Zach told me it was Rav Sheps's yard site yesterday. It was a quite siyanta d'shmaya. So, um, Rav Sheps itself fighting with the boys. The Gemara describes nasim oivim zemze, that they become enemies with each other, the two chavrusas, what a beautiful description. But they don't move. And that's where, as a Rebbe, when you're watching younger Talmidim, if you see that there's any residue of the frustration that the Chavrusas are stepping on each other's toes, then that's a sign something's going wrong. Because the Melchamta Shalter is only on that Sugya. What a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. But it doesn't work that way in marriage. In marriage, it's not that way. Communication is not is not nasim oivim zemze hafuch. That this, in order for the times of closeness and intimacy to work, the times of casual relationship to be fostered and to be built has to be a form. It has to be based on the form of speaking, and that's why what often happens is. Husbands will be entirely knocked off their feet, not in the positive sense of the word, knocked off their feet by their wives because they didn't see it coming at all. What am I describing? Ruven comes home. 
and his wife, his wife Rachel, uh, is down. It's that things just aren't aren't going well. He sees on her face. He sees it's not been uh, it's not been a good day. So she tells him it's been a terrible day. You know what happened? Well, first of all, I had to go to work, and the babysitter came a half hour late, and then I got stuck in traffic because she came a half hour late, and then I was hoping the boss was going to call the meeting for eleven o'clock, and he's called the meeting for ten o'clock. So when I came into the meeting, I was late and I wasn't prepared, and da 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 da. And it's, she's telling him all this. And the husband says, oh, okay. And he gets up to make a phone call, to call the babysitter. Either he's going to tell the babysitter, you've got to come on time. Or he's going to tell the babysitter, I'll give you, uh, we decided to extend your hours, you know, just give her, tell her to come a half hour earlier, so then she's going to come a half hour late, she'll still come on time. And he goes to do it, he picks up the phone, and he looks up, and his wife is crying. This poor guy. He's doing everything he can to help, and his wife starts crying. Now she's in a worse place. Sometimes crying just help, is also helpful in terms of getting out of her emotions. What happened is that the man put on his problem-solving hat. He wanted to solve the problem. But that's not what Rachel wants. Rachel doesn't only want Shmias Ozen. She wants someone to show that he understands how she's feeling. The second madrig of Shmiya. Shmiya im Havana. Not only to hear what she's saying, but Shmiya im Havana. And that means that a lot of times when our wives want to communicate, what they want is for us to show that we're truly understanding how they're feeling. So that means if there's an issue, which in your mind, which in Mars seems to, from Mars seems to call out for a practical solution, it could very well be that your wife, even though she's talking about practical challenges, what she's really talking about is that she wants someone to share her tough day with. And there's nothing greater in the world for her to share it with her husband. And the moment in which her husband tries to solve it is the moment in which he's actually pushed her down. And poor guy, I really feel bad for him. I, mean, I feel bad for myself also sometimes too. And I feel bad for you. We make this mistake all the time. And, that, and that's because we really didn't give our wife the time and patience to be able to listen to how, to how sh- she's feeling and to show her that we understand uh, how how she's feeling, and then there's the last madrega. Last madrega of Shmia of Nasev Inishma, and that's called Shmia im Kabbalah. And that is that not only is one supposed to listen and to understand, show you understand. But there's something even deeper than showing understanding. And that is showing respect. One of the most important themes that is necessary for a marriage is respect. And what a person does when they listen and they're mekabel, 
it's not only that they understand, but their mekavel means that they really show that they're able to respect their wife and her feelings. That's more than simply showing that you understand her feelings. It's showing that you value her and her feelings. And it's a subtle difference. It's a very profound difference. For sure, Ruvain, if he already has the ability to be able to sit down and show that he understands how she feels, Ruvain, I would say he's already one of the better husbands in the world. But you want to be fantastic husbands. You don't want to just be good husbands. You want to be fantastic husbands. And to be a fantastic husband is the ability to show your wife, this comes back to that Balamar in Kavod, Hakaras Kvoda, is that to truly, truly respect who she is and who her, her feelings are. And that means that at the end of the day, to always elevate what she says as something that is really something that's worthy of respect. And that's a challenge when you don't agree. How do you convey that respect even though intellectually you might disagree? I remember hearing from a, a woman once in a Shalom Bayez issue. She said, why do I always lose the arguments? Why do I always lose the arguments? I'm not always wrong. And the answer is she's right. She's not always wrong. And she's not really looking to always be right. But you know what she's looking for? She's, she feels that she lost all the arguments because her husband never showed her respect for her shita. And that's the answer to the question. The question was, how do you show someone respect if at the end of the day you disagree with their opinion? The answer is that the woman isn't looking to win every argument, every disagreement. And she's not looking to be right in every instance. But what she's looking for is her husband to value and respect her position. And the moment we understand that when she's suggesting something, she's not really suggesting factual evidence. She's suggesting the way in which she looks at the situation. She perceives the situation. So then we could be marichit. We could value it. Even though, yes, it, we could believe that's objectively wrong. And too many men that make that mistake, they get into the place where they look at their wives' opinions and requests as being position papers as being a Havana in the Pshat, and really that's not at all what she's saying. What she's suggesting is something that's important to her. So the classic example is, what time to leave for the wedding? What time should we leave for the wedding? So she wants to leave, as work in our house, by the way, it's, it's the opposite. I'm, I'm just, my, my wife is always on time, and I'm late. People tell me that generally it's the opposite. So I'll go through it. I'll try to see it from someone else's perspective. So she wants to leave later, and he wants to leave earlier. Or she's always late, and she thinks that they could get there on, on time. And they're not going to get there on time. He knows he's not going to get there on time. 
Rabosai, for a moment, do you realize what a pain in the neck it is if you're a woman to get ready for a wedding? I know they all do it willingly because somehow HaKadosh Baruch Hu made it that they, that's what... And what we have to do is just like shave for a couple seconds and then throw on a, you know, go into a shower for two minutes and then throw on a white shirt and a tie and then, and then we're, all, we're all set until your wife points out the stain that's on your jacket. But basically that's, that's, that's all you need. And for a woman, it's a totally different story. So when she's, she's leaving late, appreciate how hard it is for her to get ready for the wedding. How much more a woman has to do to get ready. Does it make sense? Maybe yes or maybe no. But that's important to her. If it's important to her, this is the Yisod Shalom Bayis. If it's important to you, her, it's important to you. And then you have to ask your question, how important is it for you to get to the wedding at the time that you said you're going to get to the wedding? Are you the Masadir Kedushin? So, Mir Tzashem, so you'll be Zolcha, that you'll be the Masadir Kedushin, and then your wife will also be late. So you're going to have a little bit of a challenge. We'll talk then at Mir Tzashem. What to do in that case. I have experience because I'm always late, so, so I could give you advice. But uh, in such a case, what, what, do, what do you do? So, okay, they're, they're, but most of the time, it's your Mishagas, just like she has a Mishagas. It's holy Mishagas. That's the way people are. But at the end of the day, Hakaras Kvoda is saying, wait a second, you know, I'll, uh, I'm going to, to say that what's important to her is important to me. And therefore, there's no objective machlokis. And therefore, the whole discussion of whether ways is right or whether ways is wrong, that's like one of the most fun things to watch is a husband and wife fighting about, about ways, whether to use ways or not to use ways, whether ways is right, whether ways is wrong, and so, and so on. You know, the great Jackie Mason joke is that they, way before ways, and Jackie Mason's got to come out with new material at 90 years old after post ways. But, you know, they pull up the, and they ask, he describes that Jews never know where they're going. So they pull up and they ask the guy who knows exactly how to go. And then they pull away. And the, hus- and the wife says, he said to turn left. And the husband says, he said to turn right. And they begin to fight, they begin to fight, to fight again. So at the end of the day, there's going to be these things and there are going to be objective things. You think it's objective. But don't, don't get caught up on the left and the right. What's at the core? What's the issue? Whether you're going to be there five minutes earlier or five minutes later... And if it's your kids that are going to be late to school, this is who you married. This is who you married. This is who HaKadosh Baruch Hu thought is the best person for you to lead your life with. And that means that if the kids are going to come late to school, HaKadosh Baruch Hu thinks that the best thing is for your children to come late to school. What about if it's hurting the kids' education? And you reaches a point you need constructive criticism. We'll have a separate share about constructive criticism. But at the end of the day, you and I know that 95% of the time, the things that we're fighting about is total mishigas. Total mishigas. Okay. So we spoke about three levels of shmiah, and now let's, let's get to the tools in the next 15 minutes. How do we train ourselves? How do we go about reaching this point that we could have shmiah with Havana? that we could have Shmir with Kabbalah, which is really being able to convey respect. So the answer comes from two people from two very different parts of the world. One is Carl Rogers, 
one of the most important psychologists of the 1980s. That was when I was in graduate school right after that, so I'm still in that zone. And then go back to the 1980s in Yeshiva Taravadas, Rav Pam Zatzal. They said the same thing in very different ways. One of my Rebbeim in Tarvidas was listening to a shmuz from Rav Pam. I think I was Zoha to hear the shmuz. I was young. So some of the shmuzim have sort of run together in my mind. But I'm pretty sure I was Zoha to hear the shmuz. Uh, where Rav Pam spoke about how Yeshiva Bachar is supposed to speak. And that Yeshiva Bachar speaks Balashan Kalo Nikia, that he speaks softly and he speaks cleanly. And Rapan did something mind-boggling. He took out a piece of paper. Rapan was extremely misudah. For, for those who weren't Zoha to have seen Rapan, Rapan, when, you know, when I move my papers around, you know, I put it over here, I put it over here. Rapan, every single thing that he did was measured at a sof. So if he'd move, a, I remember watching him as a young man, when if he would move a Gemara, he would pick up the Gemara with his two hands. He wouldn't just put it inside. With his two hands, he would put it down like this. He moved slowly, not because he was old. He moved slowly, and everything was misudar, methodically. So Rav Pam took out this piece of paper, softly unfolded it from his, from his uh, jacket, and he said, I would like to share with you words that a yeshiva bachar shouldn't say. And he read off a list of words. He didn't read off four-letter curse words in the base marriage of Tarvadas. That he didn't do. But he then said, crazy, stupid, shut up. He read off, he wrote a list for himself. This is, this is Rav Pam was one of the first American gedolim, that he really knew English. And he, and he had a sense of what he, thought, what he thought was appropriate speech and what he thought was not appropriate speech. And he read off a list of words that are inappropriate. And then he folded it neatly and put it back into his pocket. And then he continued with the shoes. The crazy thing... There you go. On the list was, you read the Sadoras, was, he said the word whatchamacallit. So my Rebbe, Rav Reisman Shlita, was a close Talmud of his. He went over to him after the Shmuz, and he said to him, Rebbe, I understand what's wrong with the above words, but whatchamacallit, what's wrong with the word whatchamacallit? And Rapam said to him, Yisrael, you don't understand what's wrong with the word, what call Or Reisman would joke and then he'd say, I know it's Chal of Stam, but really, you know, you have to, American kids, you got to understand. What's wrong with what call it? And Rapam and explained, what call it is a sign that a person didn't think through everything that they were about to say. What call what should I say? He's mamish, this was the Mustiyukno, this was what Rapam was. Everything was thought out, everything was measured. There were no extra words. You know who's like that in speech? I can't say he's like that in everything in life. Rav Tversky Shlita. Rav Tversky, when he speaks, Rav Ginsburg says Rav Tversky is one of the last people in the world that speaks in full sentences. Rav Tversky, when he begins a sentence, he pauses between sentences and he thinks about the whole sentence from the beginning to the end. And you also see how Rav Tversky interacts with his wife. It's also very, very special. So Rapam said that that's the chisarn with whatchamacallit. Whatchamacallit means that a person hasn't thought through uh, what they're saying up until, up until the end. Says the Maral in Avos, 
we'll come back to Dr. Carl Rogers shortly. Says the Maral in Novos, Perik Aleph, Mishnah Yud Ches. On the Mishnah, Shimon Benoi, who said, that the best thing for a human body is silence. Says the Maral, something amazing. Everybody here in this room is thinking, except for one person. You know who that person is? Me. Says the Maral, when a person speaks, they're not thinking. That's what the Mishnah is alluding to, part of what the mission is alluding to. Hopefully I thought about what I was going to say beforehand, because then I didn't think at all. Says the Ma'aral, that silence is that when a person is silent, then they're thinking. When a person is speaking, they're not. And that means that when we're talking to our wives, when we're speaking to our wives, Coming back to the Lamdash returns we had before. When we're speaking to our wives, so we're not thinking. Carl Rogers was mechaven to the Smara. He made a revolution in the world of therapy. And he also made himself a few million dollars by suggesting something that at first glance sounds wild. And that is that Roger said that a person comes to therapy, they want to feel that they're being listened to. I actually have a fundamental disagreement with Rogers on some level, which I'll discuss shortly, but it's MS Lamita. First let me explain the Shita and then I'll I'll explain to you where I think, at least as a Rebbe, our role is a little different. But Rogers revolutionized what was called, when I was, when I was in graduate school, client-centered therapy. The idea is that what a therapist is supposed to do is listen so well to their client and repeat their thoughts and feelings in other words that shows that they truly understood what the client was saying. And Carl Rogers... Shita was, that that's what therapy is supposed to be. Nothing more and nothing less. So he started charging on the therapist on the Upper East Side and Upper West Side, started becoming the most popular therapist, charging $500,000 an hour, and all they did, you have to go to school to learn how to do it properly, but all they do is repeat what the client was thinking and feeling in the words that they said. If you think about people that you trusted in sharing with them your thoughts and feelings, they did it not because they went to graduate school, but they understood what the Maharal was saying and what Rapam was saying. And that is to truly be able to listen and hear through someone's sentence, just like Rapam was saying, to think through the sentence before you say, that is extremely therapeutic, that someone really, really heard and listened, heard and listened well to how you were feeling. And the only way a person could do that is if they take Rupam's advice about how to speak. If they truly spend time thinking before they speak when they're talking to others and thinking about, this Rupam didn't emphasize, but this is what the Maral emphasizes, truly spending time before they respond to thinking about what the person truly said, then the relationship would be entirely different. 
And that means that there are times that we're not supposed to solve, that we're supposed to just listen. Really, really, really listen to what our spouse is saying and feeling. And just simply listening and showing that we understand and respect what they're saying could go a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous way. By the way, there are couples that even go to workshops. And you can think about trying this, you and your wife together. Where they practice communicating without adding any of their own thoughts and feelings. By the way, I did this with the Torah Shraga guys, the Shannon Bet boys. I had two roommates sit across from each other, Chaim Zanet. Uh, I had two boys sitting across from each other two roommates, and talk about a feeling that they had. And the roommate, with his job was not to add anything, but just to say back what his roommate was thinking and feeling. And what was fascinating, what I didn't tell the guys exactly what I was looking for, is the guys started off, initially, they failed miserably in the beginning. They failed miserably in being able to truly listen to the words that their roommates were saying. They were making assumptions. They were focusing on the things that they wanted to focus on. When we actually spoke about something that one of the roommates didn't do properly, like cleaning the room, one of the roommates couldn't hold back from being defensive. He knew his job was to say what the other person was feeling, but he just he couldn't, he couldn't hold back from being defensive. No, I did it because of such and such. And so when your wife is complaining about something, the ability for you to hold off, and you might be right, that she might not have the whole picture. And there might be a time to share with her what the whole picture is. But right now she's expressing her frustration. Now's the time just to listen. Not to be defensive requires tremendous, tremendous cough. There was a Gadol B'Torah that I know, that I heard from one of his other Talmidim, that it was Rosh Hashanah night, and the house was milling with guests. And this Rebetzin was a tremendous Alvedis Hashem, but also a pretty sharp. And this Rav is an intense Avodis Alved Hashem. It was a fascinating Shalom Bayes moment. And this, this Rav, his Midos are impeccable. And the Rav wanted to make Kiddush, and everybody was socializing. And the Rav banged on the table that he was going to make Kiddush. And the Rebetzin said to him, Rev Ruvain, I know it's Rosh Hashanah, but everybody else here wants to talk. And the Rebetzin told her husband off in front of everybody that he's being too serious on the night of Rosh Hashanah. And this tzaddik smiled, the whole time at his wife and he said to her and he's smiling the whole time and he said to her you're right Rachel on the spot you're right how many of us could do that if our wives would berate us we would be holding ourselves back to truly be able to smile when she's saying that and be macabre that type of rebuke how many of us are able to do that now we're not we're not Sadiqim we're not Gedolitar we're not there yet Mir you'll get there 
But, that, but that's something to strive for. To be able... Now, I think... And, and I think that this God of the Torah was so open and honest to his wife is that he was truly being Mechabal in her Tochacha in the sense that he was being Mechabal, that there's another part of the picture here. That he's in Shamayim on the night of Rosh Hashanah. And these are all of these, uh, you know, American tourists who are here. And they, Rosh Hashanah night is not the same as Rosh Hashanah night is for him. And he's Mechabal. And the ability to be able to take Tochacha from one's spouse and not to react defensively, that... That's a, that's a very high madrega. I agree. You know, this Rebetzin knew she could do that in public, and probably your wife knows that she can't do that to you in public. But at the end, but at the end, end of the day, there is a point of saying, wait a second, let's come back to reality. Let's come back to you and us, you and I. That there's, wait a second, there's her picture right now is important to me. Her perspective is really, really, really important. I'm going to listen. And I'm not going to react defensively. And there's going to be a time that I'll be able to talk to her about what my feelings are. That's another piece. No question that you might want to say a day later, I want to tell you my feelings about the situation. And hopefully in her Bayes class, they'll talk about that also listening. But you have to do your part. And if she doesn't live up to your expectations, then in terms of listening, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted you to have a wife who wasn't going to listen to you at that moment. But you have a responsibility to listen to her. And you have a responsibility to be marich her, her kavod. There's practical things that we need to do. Those practical things have to do, as you know, I know everybody's tired of hearing about it, but that's the reality. And that is that there is this thing, and this thing has to be put away. There's a time for everything. And that is when we're sitting with our wives and we're talking, you know, you should get a phone like why I have a second, a sec, why you just gave me a second-hand phone. It needs to be charged all the time. It's the biggest bracha that I got in my life. So I don't have it with me all the time. I put it to charge. Because Baruch Hu found the solution for me. So now it's the greatest thing. I, I shouldn't ask for uh, an upgrade. There are times that I could put it away. Do you really need to respond to the WhatsApps all the time? I, sorry for the social commentary over here, Rabosai. I, I don't think that you have to succumb to anybody else, anybody else who's pressuring you, except for your wife, who's pressuring you to respond to WhatsApps right away. You could check your WhatsApps four, five, six, seven times a day. It'll still be a zillion times less than everybody else uh, checks their phones. And that means that the times that you're talking, you turn off your phone, you put it away, you charge it, and, and that's it. It's, it. It should be it should be off. It should be off. I heard a beautiful uh, description from Dr. Mordechai Reich. You should have a Rufua Shalema. It was one of the I thought when I was sending Talmidim, when I had a lot of Shanabet Talmidim, I was sending encouraging those who need to go to a therapist. He was one of the therapists that I thought was fantastic. And Dr. Reich, I actually, before I started the Shurim, I asked, I, I asked him a list of eights of things that he thought that I should speak about with you guys. So I incorporated this. Uh, and I think it, was, it might have been then or another time, he said, I want to tell you what I saw from my Rebbe Ravnissen Alpert. Something very, very simple. Simchas Torah, and he was in YU, 
And Rav Nisan Alpert was sitting towards the back. There were hakafos. He didn't dance all the hakafos. He was sitting in being Mavra Sedra. And his back was to the ladies' section. And his wife, as Revitson, was sitting, was at the ladies' section watching the hakafos. And every once in a while, she would interrupt him because the machitza was down, um, as the tradition is on Simchas Torah, that women and men are in separate places, but they take down the, the machitza. And she would introduce him to a friend of hers or make a point to him, something like that. And Dr. Reich said, every single time his wife said, called him, Rav Nisan didn't turn around and look at her. He got up and he faced her. And he said it was striking. It was striking how he made sure his body language was showing to her that she, he was entirely devoted to what she wanted to tell him. Kresh Baruch Hu give us a siyat to the able to do that to be able to convey in our body language and most importantly in our words that we're truly devoted to be able to hear what she says, that we should be zolcha to nasev and ishma, that we should be zolcha to be able to truly be makabel her words. And with that, we'll, we'll, we'll find that the relationship will be entirely, the form of communication will be entirely different. Notice, I didn't talk at all about talking to her, speaking with her. I didn't even talk about that. The key in communication is listening. Amir Tzashem will talk about when there are times that you want to convey sensitive information about how to go about that. But once you're listening, you're going to be able to talk. But if you're not listening, you're not going to be able to talk. But see, after the Shemayim, we should be able to do that properly.